This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. For several months now, we have been working our way through the gospel according to Luke. And for almost those entire months, we've been doing it beyond the ninth chapter. The reason this matters is in the ninth chapter of Luke, Jesus turns his attention to Jerusalem, turns his face to Jerusalem. So that means that everything that follows has a sense of urgency about it. And it is Jesus aiming us at the work that is about to happen in Jerusalem. His confrontation with the powers and principalities, his arrest, his crucifixion, his burial, and finally his resurrection. It's important for us to remember that because the way we consume the lectionary in liturgy is we do it in little bites, like this one parable that we heard today. And what we can do is fall into some idea that this is sort of pithy little wisdom statements and they all stand alone, almost like the one that we heard from Sirach or the book of Ecclesiasticus, the early one. That's in the Apocrypha, by the way. The Apocrypha is a gathering of books that were written at the same time as the books of the Old Testament, but are not in Holy Scripture, but still are commended to us by canon to be useful for reproof and education. So we read them from time to time, but we use them exactly that way. Here's a little snippet out of this one book that you've never heard of, and we're going to put it in liturgy, and it's, it supports what Jesus is saying. And, but if you go find that book, you'll see the first chapter is actually the editor saying that's exactly what this book is. It is a collection of one teacher's wisdom throughout his career as a professor. So it is, it is almost like, and I've met a couple of old men like this who have a card in their pocket with a time, 10 or 12 little pithy wisdom statements that they think are so good that they typed them up and keep them in their pocket. And they're happy to share them with you, whether you ask for them or not, right? I've, I've, you not received, I've received several cards like that in my life. And it's always older gentlemen who just want to pass on their wisdom. So it's kind of like that. But reading through the gospel according to Luke is not like that. It is decidedly not like that. Jesus is pointing us somewhere. So the compilers of the teachings of Jesus, the, the authors of the gospel according to Luke, are doing the same thing. They're aiming us towards Jerusalem. And so if, with that in mind, if you've noticed the parables, they get more and more precise and more and more urgent. So the one we have for today, <clears throat> the, the narrator says, and then Jesus told them a parable about those who trust in their own righteousness while looking at others with contempt. He says, once upon a time, there was a Pharisee. Now, first of all, 2,000 years later, we use Pharisee as a cartoon. Pharisee is this character, this rule-following, a rule-oppressive person who's obsessed with the little things. Because Jesus was pretty rough on the Pharisees as a rule. But that's how we've described them. But that is not actually who Jesus just introduced, a Pharisee. A Pharisee is the good guy. He was the good guy in their culture. He was the one, you just think about your mentors in your life. Who are those people that you look up to, that you think seem to know where they're going, and you want to hear what they have to say? Pharisee was a religious authority. They were liberally minded. They wanted everyone to know the Torah. And they said, you could pray wherever you like. 
I mean, these were people really connected to the rhythm of faith. So he's introduced as a good guy on purpose. There was a Pharisee. So we expect good behavior from the Pharisee, right? He comes in. He goes into the temple to pray, as a good Pharisee would. And he begins his prayer. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not a rogue thief or adulterer. See, I can't even say that without sounding pretentious and self-righteous, you know. Thank you that I'm not a rogue thief or adulterer. But you know what he was doing? He was praying Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is a prayer of thanksgiving that the person has steered clear of the pitfalls of the immoral life. So it is, I thank you that I've made it this far. So what's the problem? Well, he notices someone else in the room. I'm not a thief, rogue, or adulterer. Those are general categories. Not like that tax collector. I'm not pointing at any of you, by the way. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem, you know. Not like the tax collector, right? Now, there's a tax collector who also comes in. Now, we think, we think oh, the tax collector's the good guy. No, the tax collector's a bad guy. He was a bad guy. He was, he was taking money from his people, skimming money off the top, and giving the rest to the oppressive Romans. He's a bad guy. He's not a misunderstood bad guy. He's not really a kind-hearted guy. He didn't get pushed into this job because of culture. Jesus gives him no buy. He calls him a tax collector. Everybody knows what that means. He's a cartel drug dealer. He is a bad guy, right? So he comes in, falls to his knees face down, can't even look up at God. And he says, my life's a mess. The whole thing's a mess. And I don't know what to do. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Jesus says, he's going away justified. The cartel drug dealer is going away justified. And the guy who's given his religious life to the church or to the faith community is not. What happened? What happened? I think a couple of things happened. First, obviously, was this obsessive comparison that we do as human beings. I mean, have you not ever caught yourself this way when you're pondering your own sin in your life, the things that you've done that you know you're not proud of, that you really should know better? Have you not said, yeah, but it's not as best. It's not like I work for the cartel, right? I mean, it's not like, not like I'm, you know, abusing children. You think of some horrific thing and you compare. At least I'm not as bad as that. So that's a thing that Jesus is confronting, right? But the other is this obsessive justification of self. You know, Lord, I'm really okay. I'm really okay. And that's what Jesus is starting to chip away at. Like the lesson from Sirach that says, do not try to bribe God. And if you think about it, any good work that we think we have that we can bring to God and show, you're cutting a deal with God, you've got nothing to cut a deal with. <laughs> it's God. So I think he's chipping away at that, that this obsessive comparison that we have with ourselves with other people. But I think he's chipping away at something even larger. He's chipping away at a well-established pattern of cause and effect. If then, the pattern of a bargain struck. God, I will do this, and then you will do this. If I do all the right things, 
will you then reward me? It's the bargain struck is what I think he's chipping away at. Is there's no bargain to be made. This is what's pointing us to the cross. Right? The whole economic model of faith that there is some trade, some transaction that's happening, some deal being cut is falling away the closer he gets to Jerusalem. Humanity tries to do its very best to cut the final deal and then they take the love of God and nail it to a tree and God's love cannot be killed. The stone is rolled away. He is raised from the dead. Jesus is chipping away, I believe, at the bargain struck because there is no bargain to be struck. God has already done it. You can't do it. I can't do it. I can't be good enough. And God has wiped out that whole dynamic. What happens if you don't believe God is waiting on you to do anything? What happens if you are already loved? You've already been redeemed. God already sees you just like you are. God already loves you just like you are. And you can't do anything in the world to make God love you less. And you can't do anything in the world to make God love you more. Because God already loves you this much. That's how much. So the whole model is gone. Now this is a ridiculous thing for me to preach to you right in the middle of our annual giving campaign. <laughs> because any self-respecting priest would be digging into that model really hard. There is a transaction happening here and if you want God to love you and to bless you, you're going to give the church 10% and you're going to do it today. It would make a lot of sense. But it's not what Jesus is doing. Matter of fact, it's going to be so obvious next week. So next week, I mean, when he starts chipping away that there's no transaction happening, some rich young ruler comes to him next week and goes, wait a minute. I mean, he's been living this his whole life. He goes, then what am I supposed to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus picks the one thing he knows he can't do. He says, go do that. Then you will have done something to inherit. Go give away everything you have. Come hang out with me. Gee, he might as well have told him to go find me a dragon's egg. There was no way he could do it. He gave him the one thing he can't do so that he will see that the thing to do has already been done. God's love is perfect and permanent. And you can't undo it. So then what? Then what? Then what happens to your life? What happens to my life if we actually believe that we are not in a deal? And we're not cutting a deal. Well, I think it just makes us say how much God loves the world. And we want the world to look like that. I want the world, I want my life to look like I know I am loved and valued and cared for. So I'm going to try to live like someone who's known and loved and cared for. I want the world to look like it's known and loved and cared for. So I'm going to work to help make the world look loved and cared for. I'm going to find all the things that don't look like the kingdom of God and I'm going to get to work fixing them. And friends, there is plenty of broken stuff in the world that does not look like the kingdom of God. 
So we bring this knowledge, this identity of loved and redeemed to the table. And we work. And we give. And we become generous. Our hands are open because I'm not grasping for a deal. The deal's already been made. God's love is yours. What happens to the world if we live like that? In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.